some overview stuff. So uh, uh, let's let's start off with a word of prayer and ask for the Lord's help. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word, um, your living word, your written word, and uh, where would we be without your son Jesus? And um, Lord, you're so dynamic. There, there's so many uh, attributes that manifest your glory, and um, and one of them is that uh, you, you came through the person Jesus Christ to, to serve, serve us um, and to show what it looked like to be um, <clears throat> a servant leader. And so as we open up the book of Mark and as uh, we consider the things that you put before us, God, I pray that you would mold us and shape us into the image of Christ, that uh, we would have a heart to serve you first and foremost. Um, and not fear man, um, but also through the empowerment of your spirit to, to serve one another, to lay down our lives for the gospel and, and, and for the church. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, it's good to be here this morning. And let's see now. So uh, we're going to do a series on the gospel of Mark. And uh, if so I, I guess I'm teaching once a month, and if we do a chapter a month, that means that we'll be here for like a year and a half going through this. So we're going to figure out, uh, as we're going through it, if it's more of like a highlight series or uh, actually like chapter by chapter. Uh, but we'll, we'll see where the Lord leads um, as we dive into it and study. I was thinking about... Um, well, a lot of things. Anybody uh, watch the Super Bowl last week? Right? Stupid question for those in Kansas City. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, this is uh, Demar Hamlin, who is the Buffalo Bills safety. And in the beginning of January, the Bills were playing the Cincinnati Bengals uh, in Cincinnati. And I don't know if anybody else saw this, but he just kind of like a seemingly like normal play. He tackled somebody. There was no weird hit, like, it's not like anybody's neck went backwards or anything, like, cringeworthy. But then he just kind of got up and then just collapsed. He went into cardiac arrest. And, uh, like, it, I didn't actually watch the game, but I read the news about it and, and saw, like, I mean, just a ton of stuff on social media. But it was kind of like, I guess, did anybody watch that game? Yeah, yeah, yeah so, yeah, yeah, it's just kind of like everything just kind of stopped. Yeah, yeah. They didn't continue the game. Um, and I guess on the field, uh, you can see here a photo, but there's actually just um, a number of, of players and staff like praying for him. And uh, they, uh, they cut off his jersey and were actually giving him CPR. And like, they resuscitated him and like, got him to the hospital. So it's it pretty miraculous that um, he survived. And he was out of the hospital, I think, in like, 10 or 11 days. I mean, it was pretty short for what had happened. So and on the Super Bowl, uh, he actually uh, was brought out, and people were cheering for him. And I don't know if anybody caught this, but his jacket is actually kind of uh, a, a pretty, uh, pretty bright spectacle, okay? So I want to give you a little bit of a zoom in on this. But um, his jacket uh, on the right chest actually says, without end or beginning, there's no day and there's no night. 
And then on the back it says eternal, and there's um, a paper doll depiction of Jesus Christ and, um, and a bunch of like garb that's been put, put on there. Uh, so on Twitter this week, um, there were some believers in the NFL that, uh, that kind of called them out and, and said, this is, this is kind of offensive that you, that, you would, that you would wear this. And, uh, and there was a lot of back and forth. And, and, uh, and I think the thing that just kind of stood out to me, Mar, you know, his, his posture, and he's a believer, and, and his posture was just like, you know, this, was, this is a form of art. Um, but I think he did want to just acknowledge the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, in his life. But I think um, why I'm guessing why some people are, are offended by this is because it kind of seems maybe a little cartoonish, okay? Um, but also there um, is a little bit of a disfiguration of, of what we would seemingly think of as like a crucifix of Jesus, right? It's not like our normal depiction. And uh, I'm not showing you this to try to like swing you to either like like this uh, depiction of Jesus or not like this depiction of Jesus. Allie and I were evaluating it, and we actually both really like it. So uh, this might discredit the whole sermon series if you don't like this. Uh, you think it's blasphemous. But when I saw this, and I just saw the reaction of like people like being offended um, that this might not be like the that they would want to see pictured, I, I, I really go to Isaiah fifty-three one through five, and it's it, it, this is this is a prophecy about our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And this prophecy is really just showing that like, the wrath of God was poured out on his son, and there was nothing attractive about that, right? And uh, so I, I bring up this, this passage as, as we start looking at the book of Mark. Um, there, there's uh, some distinctions about the book of Mark. And I'm oh, sorry, I forgot to forward that. Um, and, uh, and one of the biggest ones is just that Jesus was a, a, a servant king, a suffering servant. And... <clears throat> There's um, and there's a couple of things that I just want to kind of provide like the, the the bigger picture first, which will be a little bit more academic, but I think it's good to get this stuff down, um, and then it can like help as we start to dive more into the the nuances of it all. So the first one is uh, the author is John Mark, okay, and uh, something I want you to know about John Mark is that uh, John Mark was actually a cousin of Barnabas, and uh, he was on, 
I would say one of the biggest mission trips uh, the world has ever seen, which was uh, the superpowers of Paul and Barnabas going out. And uh, John Mark bailed on them halfway through one of their journeys. And, and the thing was so bad that it actually created a vision between Barnabas and Paul. Okay? So if you could imagine, uh, you know, we were just talking about missions trips. So imagine you, like, signed up for a missions trip. You went to Laramie, and two of our best, like, well, all of our pastors are great. But um, two of our uh, elite pastors are going to Laramie, and then you bail halfway through. They get in a fight over it, and they decide they can't go on another missions trip together. That was John Mark, okay? And uh, the amazing thing is that eventually uh, he was discipled by Peter, and um, and in 2 Timothy 4.11, we actually find out that Paul, who was adamant to not like go on another trip with him, had actually uh, called him profitable for the ministry. And so you actually see that John Mark has been restored. Okay, So, so the, the thing to call out here, and why I think this is important, is that in a lot of ways, John Mark was um, passionate about the Lord, but kind of failed in a big way. And yet God used him to write one of the four Gospels, which is amazing. Um, so between uh, Paul being originally Saul, a killer of Christians, and John Mark being a divider of uh, church planters, um, I, I think there's a, a lot in there for us to give grace for one another and also know that God can use you no matter what your past has looked like, okay? I don't think anybody here has killed Christians, at least on purpose. Um, and, and I don't know if there's been anybody here that has caused such a big church split that, uh, you know, it, it just, like, caused, caused ruffles and, and, and ridges. But we've got, like, there's grace. And God can, if God can use John Mark to write the gospel. God can use us, Okay. Uh, 16 chapters, and here's the key theme, uh, Jesus, the suffering servant of God. So your first blank is suffering. So Jesus, the suffering servant, laid down his life in service to others. And if you don't have your Bible open, you can turn to uh, Mark chapter 10, because we're going to look at the key verse, Mark chapter 10. And it says here in verse 45, For even the Son of Man came, not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay? So, uh, Jesus was once talking about uh, how it's like a reasonable service um, for like, like a servant. If they're, if they're working out in the field, when they, when they got done with that work, they would come back in. They couldn't just kick back and relax. It was, it, the reasonable service was actually after they worked in the field that they would prepare a meal for their master. And the book of Mark is really fast-paced. Um, there's actually a lot of conversations that you see in the other Gospels which are left out, and there's a, a lot of focus on action. And uh, it's exhausting what Jesus is going through as he's healing and ministering. And this is what a servant does, right? They don't get to just kick back on a, on a Thursday afternoon um, 
and get to watch the football game, right? They've got things that they need to do for their master. And we see Jesus um, just being exemplifying that uh, to perfection. One of the key words uh, that you're going to see if you study out this book is the word straightway. Sometimes it's translated immediately. Um, but again, it, it speaks to this, this fast-paced nature of this gospel and that um, there's action. Now the outline, just at the highest level, uh, there's always many ways that you can outline a book. But um, this one uh, breaks it up into two sections, which would be Mark chapter 1 through 10. Jesus gave his life in service. Then Mark chapter 11 verses, uh, Mark chapter 11 through 16. Jesus gave his life in sacrifice. All right. And, um, and then Mark is also known as one of the three synoptic gospels, meaning that um, it has uh, very similar um, stories, but from a different perspective as Matthew and the book Luke. Okay, so sin equals together and opposites equals view. So um, if you can imagine, you know, like if we were to watch a car accident um, and you talk to three different people uh, from three different corners, they're going to see different things. And even just depending on what is going through their brain at the time, they might hone in on different things than somebody else. Okay? So this is absolutely the case with Matthew, Mark, Luke is they are giving different perspectives of the life of Jesus. And, um, and the beauty of Scripture is that there's actually no contradiction in that. Um, and sometimes you'll see an emphasis on one thing over another. All right. And then uh, the last thing that I wanted to show you here was um, just to give you some distinctions of Mark in relation to the other uh, Gospels. And we're not going to go through all these um, in great detail, but um, you might, if you're in LFBI, you've probably seen this a few times or even um, in like the study of Matthew. Um, so Matthew really is a focus on portraying Jesus as king. And the main audience is the Jews. And for Mark, um, the, the, it's portraying Jesus as a servant. And the main audience is the Roman world. For Luke, there's a focus on Jesus being the perfect man. And that's to the Greek mind. And John is showing uh, Jesus as mighty God over and for all. Okay, And uh, for emphasis, Jesus... Uh, the book of Mark is really focused on his miracles. Um, Matthew, there's a focus on his sermons. Luke, his parables. John, his doctrines. So we'll see examples um, even today where uh, what takes almost a whole chapter in Matthew 4 is summed up in one verse in, in Mark. So we'll see some examples of that. And then uh, genealogical records. So Matthew um, and Luke both have a genealogy of Jesus Christ. One is through Joseph, and one is through Mary. But then Mark uh, does not give a genealogical record. And, um, <clears throat> and I, I put this, no, a servant's genealogy is irrelevant. And what I thought about here... Um, does anybody know who Alfred the Butler is in Batman? 
Okay, so I was, so uh, everybody knows Bruce Wayne's story, right? What happened to his parents? They were murdered, right? Does anybody know anything about Alfred's parents? No, because he's just the servant butler. He's just the faithful guy that's there, and 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 I think that like that's you know that's not to diminish people that are servants, but I think from the perspective of those that are um, are are high and mighty. Um, oftentimes, you know, they don't have time to think about those things, right? And, uh, and so Mark does not focus on a, geneal- a, a human genealogy for Mark. All right, so just a historical con- a couple of things, historical context, and then we'll dive into some verses. So um, the, the first one is this, that um, after the book of Malachi, uh, there was approximately 400 years of silence, meaning that um, there, was new, there was no new revelation from God. And uh, the last time I taught, I talked about how in 1 Samuel, um, they were going through a spiritual drought. There was a corrupt priesthood, and that um, the words of the Lord were precious in their, those days. There was no open vision. And we find ourselves, as we get into um, the time of Jesus, kind of a similar situation. Um, there was a, a corrupt priesthood that uh, actually did not know the Lord. Um, they they had, had departed from God and, and were, were deaf and blind to what God had to say. And God had not given them any new scriptures because they weren't faithful with, with what they had. Okay, so it's easy as we approach this, you know, like we've, we've gotten uh, the revealed word of God and God's given us so much. But if you could try to like imagine um, just kind of being in a point of despair where it's like there's oppression and burdens. Um, Jerusalem's uh, second temple was active. Okay, so the temple had been destroyed. The children of Israel had been put into captivity. God miraculously had sent them back. They built the new temple. They built the wall. Um, so the, the second temple that was built in Jerusalem was active, and they were using it for sacrifice. Um, many of the cities had synagogues, okay? This wasn't where they would go and do, like, the Levitical uh, sacrifice. That's, that was for Jerusalem. But these synagogues were places where um, they could do Scripture reading and prayer. And so you'll see that uh, when Jesus shows up into these small little towns, he often got the opportunity to teach in the synagogue. Um, You'll see Paul, when he's showing up in cities, he's often getting a chance to teach in the synagogue. And then just one other uh, bullet here that I think is important is just that Israel was under Roman rule. Okay, so they've got all these prophecies about this Messiah that's going to come and that he's going to rule and reign and that... Um, that his enemies are going to be like uh, trodden under their feet, and yet um, they're under the the rule of the Romans. Okay, so this is uh, the state of mind uh, of Israel is kind of defeated and and in despair and waiting for the Lord. I got a little map here. Um, if if you guys don't know this, but anytime Mitch teaches, anytime. Uh, one of our guest speakers teaches, 
Um, these slides are actually put on the website, and so if you ever want a reference, you can always go download the slides. Uh, but I did put a map here, and um, I do encourage you, if you are reading through any of the Gospels, it is really helpful to just take a couple minutes to go to the back of your Bible if it has a map or go online and actually look at like where Galilee is or where the Jordan is or River Jordan is or where Jerusalem is. Just getting that like map in that context can help so much bring it to life. Uh, there's also an Israel trip sign up. So if uh, you want to sign up for that, that could also help as well. Bring that to life. Okay, so we're going to look at the first 13 verses of first Mark, or of Mark, um, goodness gracious, first uh, 13 verses of chapter 1 in Mark. And, um, and this is really about um, showing the servant's identity, okay? And uh, this may seem uh, simple to some, and again, I think uh, for those that have been saved for quite a while, for those that um, have grown up in the church, I think sometimes we can kind of lose the marvel and the wonder of the gift of God's scripture and his word. Um, but uh, I'm really excited to just look at these verses and that in their simplicity, I think that there's, there's some great insight. And the first one is just this. So again, this is John Mark writing, inspired by the Holy Ghost. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So right now, okay, um, this doesn't start off saying that Jesus Christ is the servant of God. We'll get there. But it's, it's focused in establishing that this is the good news of Jesus Christ and that he's the Son of God. Okay, and, and for somebody uh, that, uh, well, like the religious leaders, for instance, that were growing, that were um, there, there uh was a ton of backlash about Jesus um, because Jesus referred to himself as the Son of God, and um, they wanted to kill him. Uh, actually, in uh, there would be like John five eighteen that uh, they started plotting to kill Jesus because he called himself the Son of God, which would make him equal with God. And so, it's important as we even just think about. This idea that God has a son, that this wasn't a new revelation that came when Jesus showed up in Jerusalem. Because there was actually Old Testament references to God having a son. I put a lot more in the notes than what we're going to look through. But just, some, just a couple that really stand out. That when you read them, you're, it's just like, wow, like, could God be more clear? All right, so Psalm, Psalm 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. It's very familiar language. Verse 12. Kiss the son, capital S, lest he be angry and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Psalm 2 is basically about the nations going against going against God. And God is calling out that uh, he has a son, and he's asking that the nations will bow down to him, that they'll honor him. And so, again, Jesus 
um, or God having a son is not a new fabricated concept that happened around the time of Jesus. This has been something that's been around for um, since the heart of God. Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who hath ascended up into heaven, or who or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Okay, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but it's actually talking about, it's pointing to God. God is the one that does these things. And it's saying, who is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? And one more, Daniel 3.25. Okay, this was when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. Many are familiar with the story. And when they're seeing that these three men that were supposed to be burned and, and, and charred to death were actually preserved, and they were looking in, it says, He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose. So they had only thrown in three, but now they're seeing four in the fire, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So this was an appearance, actually of Jesus walking with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So again, I just point the, to these verses. There's more on your notes. Um, but, but here's the key point, is that the Son was identified with the Father from the beginning. Good. Beginning is your blank. The Son was identified with the Father from the beginning. His name is Jesus Christ. And how sweet is that name? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Colossians 1, um, 1, through 5, uh, 1, 15 through 17, it's talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Okay? So, again, we get, we, we get so familiar, you know, with Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. But again, if you can kind of put yourself back in these times, and uh, what the people were thinking through at that time, for somebody to, to point out and say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that was a declaration. That was a declaration that could potentially get you thrown in jail. Could, could potentially get you uh, thrown out from your family. Could potentially get you killed. Right? This was a declaration that was being made. So John Mark was the first witness that we see. The second witness um, that we see is in verses 2 and 3. So these are the prophets. It says in verse 2, Mark 1, verse 2, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. These are actually um, quotations of Old Testament prophets. Uh, one of them is Malachi. So we're just going to read this, Malachi 3.1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. 
And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And the second one, Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, these two prophecies are, are speaking of both John the Baptist, who is preparing the way for the Lord. Um, but it's also talking about the Lord coming, the Lord meeting his people. And so the second thing that we need to consider, there we go, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, is this. So God anticipated the wilderness of a sin-plagued humanity, and he prepared a righteous way to his promises. And you guys, some of us are going, are in the middle of a wilderness. Some of us will be going into a wilderness in the future. God will be leading some of us into a wilderness, okay? For the children of Israel, they were in a, a wilderness of rebellion, of drought, spiritual drought. And God wasn't thrown off by this. He saw it. And he's providing a way. Okay, so God anticipated the wilderness of a sin-plagued humanity and prepared a righteous way to his promises. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14 says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And, there, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth into life. Few there be that find it. It's really hard to be righteous. That's an understatement. It's actually impossible to be righteous, okay? Our sin is as, is as filthy rags to God. Matthew 19, uh, verse 23, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says unto them, um, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible but with God, all things are possible. Okay? So again, like these wildernesses in our life, okay, these, these spiritual droughts, these, these plagues that we, we go through, these things aren't, throw, like these things don't, don't throw off God. He foresaw them. And the biggest problem that we have is actually not our life circumstances. It's our spiritual relationship with God. And this is what Jesus came to do, was to get us out of that spiritual wilderness and into the promised land. Right relationship with God. There's one other verse on this topic, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Okay, so 
John Mark was a witness, and we also have these Old Testament prophets that were pointing to prophets that would come. Uh, the, fir- the third witness is John the Baptist. So this is Mark 1, verses 4 through 8. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of the skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latcheth of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to slow down here just for a moment. Um, because there is a lot of confusion around baptism and salvation. And uh, I want to call out here that in these verses, it actually talks about that John's baptism, uh, in verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Okay. And it's important to call out here that um, this remission was a forgiveness of sins, but this was not a uh, this was not a salvation that would solve for the continuing sin condition of mankind. And I'll I'll just show you uh, if if we went to Acts chapter nineteen. Let's see if I put that up here. Nope. Okay. Um, can you, if you actually have your Bibles, can you turn to Acts 19? <clears throat> We're going to start in verse 1. Acts 19, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost? Since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? They said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Jesus. When they in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all men were about twelve. Okay, so this was, this is actually showing that during uh, the book of Acts, so this would have been after Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, as they were church planting and going around, they actually found some, It's called they, they're called out as disciples, but they actually hadn't received the Holy Ghost. And they were still operating under the the baptism of John. They hadn't heard anything else. And so here we have, um, we've got, uh, let's see now, that Paul is is bringing um, this this gospel and uh, that they can actually, 
be uh, one with the Lord Jesus Christ, baptized with the Holy Ghost, and have that spiritual conversion. So again, I just bring that up to just say that like Paul's baptism was a call to repentance, um, but it did not call for their ultimate spiritual sin condition. So another thing just about uh, John the Baptist that I love that I think we can learn a lot from is just his humility. And he says that Jesus is one mightier than himself and the latches of whose shoes he's not worthy to stoop down and unloose. This is the exact opposite of Satan. Okay? Um, Satan coveted what God had. And yet, John the Baptist, as he witnessed, he always pointed to one greater than him. And he said this, He must increase, but I must decrease. And it's amazing that uh, for John the Baptist to say this, he must increase, but I must decrease, does not mean that John was quiet. doesn't mean that John didn't have a presence. He just knew what to emphasize. His decrease wasn't becoming silent. His decrease was pointing people to Jesus. And he had disciples of his own. And when the Messiah came, and he saw him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His decrease, again, wasn't being quiet. His decrease was pointing that out. And then sending his disciples to follow uh, Jesus Christ. It's amazing. So, the next point, God prepares people's hearts to receive their Messiah through messengers like John the Baptist and everyday Christians like you and I. We have a ministry and an opportunity and a calling to be like John the Baptist, to prepare the way for the Lord for a world that is blind and deaf to the Messiah. And you guys, we have prophetic revelation of what is to come. What, what is coming with Jesus' second return? It's, it's judgment. His first coming was an offering of grace and peace and reconciliation. But his second coming, we have that prophetic view into his second coming. And that second coming is, is wrath and terror for those that are not in the ark of Christ, that are not in Christ, not found in Christ. And so we have this, this calling we, to prepare the way um, to get in Scripture with, to be praying and interceding for people. Colossians 1.28 says, Who we preach, Jesus, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. 2 Timothy 4.1-2 says this, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall and the dead at his appearance in his kingdom, be instant in season and out of season. 
reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And the last, but definitely not the least, of the witnesses uh, that we're seeing in Mark 1 of who the identity of the servant is, is uh, the Father and the Holy Ghost. Okay? So, uh, verse 9 says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in the Jordan. And straightway, there's one of those key words, and straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth them into the wilderness. So, <clears throat> the key point here is that the Father and the Holy Spirit are pointing to Jesus and telling us to hear His words. I want to read to you um, just a couple of verses, okay? So, um, Psalm 2-7 says, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the exact same language that we're seeing happening in Mark. <clears throat> Isaiah 42, verse 1 says this, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And uh, Matthew 17, verse 5. Let's see if I put these verses up here. There seems to be a delay on the... Uh... All right, we'll roll with it. Matthew 17, uh, verses 5 through 9, it says this. Okay, so this is... Jesus is uh, has called three of his disciples with him. And they're on uh, what's known now as the, the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay? And it's this crazy scene where Jesus shows up, or Jesus is there, and all of a sudden, uh, the prophets Elijah and Moses are there. All right? It's like this mountaintop experience. Matthew 17, 5 through 9 says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So just like when Jesus was baptized, Again, God the Father is saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But then there's three little words that are added on to that phrase. It says, hear ye him. So it's, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Okay, well, um, now Jesus is risen, so we can tell people this vision, right? Um, but the call out here is that <clears throat> the God um, is, is identifying Jesus as his Son, in whom he's well pleased, and he wants us to hear his voice. 
Revelation 3.20 says this, Behold, this is Jesus talking, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. Okay, so these um, are the four witnesses of the servant's identity in Mark chapter 1. And, um, and it's pointing to uh, Jesus being the Son of God. Now we're going to read one other verse. It's Mark 1.13. Um, so I think really quickly, um, uh, we see actually evidence of Jesus being the Son of God. And I think this is a great way to just kind of end uh, this, this first part of Mark. It says this, And he, Jesus, was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Okay, so Matthew 4 covers this in much greater detail, and you actually hear Jesus dialoguing and combating Satan with the Word of God. And Satan's twi twisting Scripture, and Jesus just continues to, to stand on truth. And <clears throat> Mark captures this whole dialogue in just one verse, and then adds a little detail to it. Um, and was with the wild beasts, which you didn't see that in, uh, in Matthew 4. And then the angels ministered unto them. And I think the first call out here, just the evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, is that <clears throat> Adam and Eve and all of us actually have failed in the temptations of Satan that he's given to us. And yet, Jesus had victory over Satan. And he's the only one that could have won that victory. And then the second one, the wild beast, when you do, uh, when you do a uh, word study on the first mention of wild beast, you actually find out that the wild beast was uh, a mechanism for God to bring judgment to the children of Israel on their rebellion. Meaning that, like, you don't mess around with wild beasts <laughs> because they're, they're dangerous, right? And yet this very much uh, reminds me of Daniel being in the lion's den, and yet with God's power, God was able to, uh, with angels, be able to shut up the lions, and, and there was no harm to him. We see Jesus here with the wild beasts, and he's brought peace. And this is what we know that, like in Revelation, there's all these pictures of like the lion and the lamb. So... <clears throat> The, the question that I just want to leave you with, if this clicker will go one more step, is, yeah, will you receive these witnesses today? Okay. I think, you know, as I'm scanning the room, like, I think most of you have probably heard these, heard these witnesses in some way or form. And if that's true... Will you be a witness to those around you like these witnesses have been to us? And again, just that call out that we have a ministry like John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord. And that decreasing, he said, he must increase, I must decrease. That decreasing isn't being quiet and, and shy. That decreasing is pointing to the truth, pointing to Jesus Christ helping us through what it is. That's how we Lord. That's how we make
by the Lord. So I leave you with those two questions, and I'm just going to pray first, and we'll be done here.